I'm going to start today's message by um, reading to you the, sto- the prodigal son story. And it's probably, it's, just give me a second, these kids are really cute, so. <laughs> Look at all these guys, yay. Thank you, Jillian and Gracie, for serving. Thank you, guys. Um, but the prodigal son story is probably one of the most famous in the Bible, parables and stories, and probably hundreds and hundreds of different sermons have been written about that since the time of Christ. And it's a very powerful story used many times for altar calls or people coming back to the Lord and things like that. But I'm going to show you this story today in maybe a slightly different way than maybe you've seen it before. But it starts in Luke 15, 11 through 32. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country uh, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Isn't that just an awesome part of the Bible right there? I mean, he didn't wait for the son to get all the way back home. He's like, that's my boy. And he's just like, he's just taken off, going to get him. Verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The dad was like, "Mm, I don't want to hear about that. You're my boy. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. You're sorry. Yeah, you you waste all all stuff. That's okay. That's my son. Get the robe. Get the ring. Get the sandals. Get the fattest cow you can find. That's, we're having steaks tonight, man. We're going to be grilling out tonight. And they had a, a feast, a celebration with music, party, dancing. The Bible talks about dancing. Yes, it's in the Bible. Music and dancing. And they, uh, they celebrated that this son came home. Well, let's look at the other son, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field... When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf. He's like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I've done everything right. I've been here the whole time. I didn't do what he did. He did everything wrong. I did everything right. Why are you celebrating him and not celebrating me? 
Okay? Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate me glad, because your brother, this brother of yours, was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Praise God. Amen. Now, in this story, like I said, it's probably one of the most preached uh, parables in the Bible, most famous ones. And we all know the Father represents God. God the Father, he's running to his son. He's running. He's happy to have him back. He's the one giving the robe, the ring, the sandals. He's the one killing the fatted calf. He's the one that declares there will be music and dancing and partying. He's the one that says, let's celebrate. And he says, when one son comes home, what does it say? The angels have a party in heaven every time. They must be partying a lot right now, amen? Because even though we're hearing a lot of evil, there's more people coming to the kingdom right now than possibly ever has happened before in, in different countries. It's, it's happening all over the globe. just doesn't put it on the news, so we don't always hear about it. But So the Father represents God, but who do the sons represent? Who do they represent? Clearly, they don't represent Jesus, because Jesus never lived like the younger son, and he never acted like the older son, refusing to go in and all that. And both the younger son and the older son, neither one of them really knew their dad. They really didn't understand the heart of their father, neither one of them. So uh, the sons clearly don't represent Jesus. But I want to show you the, the youngest son represents the Gentiles, and the older son represents the Jews or the Israelites. Okay, That's what this represents in this story. He's talking to Jews while he's sharing this story. So when we read in the Bible, the Bible, the Jews talk about Gentiles. They use wor- words like unclean. And uncircumcised, they call them dogs, pagans, they call them sinful. And in this story, Jesus shared with the younger son and asked, uh, shares how the younger son asked for his inheritance early. When he asked for his inheritance early, it was just saying, Dad, I wish you'd just die now and just give me this stuff. I don't want to wait till you're dead. I, don't, I want my stuff now. This half of this stuff at least, or a third, whatever they did back then, belongs to me. I want it now. I wish you were just dead. He didn't have value for the relationship with his father. He didn't really understand the heart of his father. He wanted the stuff more than he wanted his father. Quite the opposite of Moses, right? Now, uh, Jesus used words like squandered, wild living, and shows him living with pigs, something the Jews would have found detestable and unclean at that time. They, just, they, were, they were unclean, pigs were. All these things point to Gentiles. And the word Gentile means people or nations, and it refers to anyone who's not a Jew. So anyone not a Jew is a Gentile. But think about this. Jews and Gentiles, they all came from Adam and Eve. The the split happened when Abraham became the father of faith, but they're still God's sons. They still cared about the Gentiles the whole entire time, but they were off somewhere else. They were living in wild living. Think of the Romans, and they were were Gentiles, other people like that. So now think about the older son. Jesus describes him with words like working and slaving. And the son said that he never broke one of the rules ever. Does that sound like a Pharisee right there? I never broke one of your rules. The dad would be like, really? Uh, really? I mean, you must have a short memory right now. Maybe you're talking about the time while your brother was gone and now maybe that short time, but not in your whole lifetime. You can't say you never broke one of the rules. And he said, and you never gave me anything. You never gave me everything. Not even a little lamb to have a party with my friends. And he was upset. You can see this describing the Jews. The older son felt... He was worthy of the inheritance because he stayed the whole time. He was with his dad the whole time. He was working in the field. He obeyed all the rules. He was doing all the right things. And he had done everything right. While this younger son had done everything wrong. 
He felt like he earned the party. He earned the celebration. He earned the fatted calf. He earned all this stuff. This son of yours, he didn't earn anything. He's a loser. He's a waste of time. Like, why would he even care about this kid? He's good for nothing. And he's like, no, that's, that's my son. That's my son. So the younger son is being rewarded, and the older son says he, uh, he, hasn't been getting, he has never been given anything. Yet he lives there every day. The dad's feeding him. He didn't go hungry. He had stuff there. But he didn't understand, uh, and he was hurt, and he was offended because the dad celebrated the one son more than the other one. Okay? Now, in the parable, Jesus tells us how the older son, talking with the Jews, basically will not be happy when the younger brother returns home to the family, the Gentiles. And we can see that today. Some of them, they, that's why they don't believe, one of the reasons why they don't believe Jesus was a Messiah, because he included the Gentiles. They don't always see that. But the Gentiles had, a, had wandered away from God. They were living in sin, like, like living with pigs. And Jesus was foretelling or prophesying but a future day when the lost would be found. And praise God, we're in that day today that we're found. I think everyone here, and Lord Taylor's not here today, so I think we're all Gentiles in here today. <laughs> so uh, I want to say one more thing from this, the point of this, from this story. The younger son inherited from his father twice. Once for the beginning of the story, and once the end of the story. Remember the end of the story, you got the robe, the ring, the sandals, of course, the whole party. The older brother inherited once in the very beginning of the story. It says he divided his property between the two of them. But it did not benefit the older brother because he never partook of the inheritance. He divided it in the beginning, but then the, the son said, you never even gave me a, a goat to have a party of my friends. So somehow in the mindset of the, the, the older brother, even though the father had already given everything to the both of them, he felt like it didn't really belong to him. I want to show you why. You might wonder, why is that? Why is that? Well, I want to show you this from Scripture. Galatians 4, 1 and 3. 1 through 3. It says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So sons and daughters, when they are still children, it says they're no different than slaves. They will not inherit what's been given to them until they come of age and come of maturity. And in North Carolina, that's 18. And in uh, other states, it's 21. But they have to become of age. They have to become mature before they're able to receive this inheritance. Okay? So even though they're true sons and daughters, it says they are master or owner of everything. It will not benefit them at all until they come into maturity. That's what's going on with the oldest son. He was the master of it all, even more than his younger brother. He was master of it all, but he didn't, he didn't benefit any of it because he hadn't come into maturity yet. Okay? I'm going to show you this more as we keep going, but... Uh, when someone dies or leaves a large inheritance to somebody, you know, uh, any, uh, actually if it's a small amount, I guess the, the child can receive it early. But when it's a certain, I don't know what the cutoff line is, but when it becomes a large amount, these people, they, they can't get it. So even though you may have inherited a million dollars, two million dollars, if you're seven, eight years old, you're not going to see a dime of it. And there's guardians and people are going to hold on to it and keep it in a trust fund for you until the time appointed by the father. So um, this... To the child, that might seem, this is not fair. I want to go out right now and buy, even though he's only seven, eight, he wants to go buy this thing and this toy and that, this video game and this house and this whatever. He wants to spend everything on wild living or whatever. There's laws set up today and, and back then to protect the son from wasting or squandering this, their father's property until the set time. Okay? 
So you probably all see movies like this uh, on TV where, you know, uh, somebody died and they left this inheritance to somebody and they took it and they wasted it or whatever or they couldn't get it till a certain time. Well, one such movie like that is called The Ultimate Gift. How many of you have seen The Ultimate Gift? Okay, it's kind of a sad story, but it's a good story. And in this story, this rich grandfather, very, very rich, he dies and leaves an inheritance to his three children and also to his grandchild. And the grandchild's name's Jason. His father died when he was just young, and it made him become bitter towards his grandfather because his grandfather was with him when he died and somehow blamed him. Now, this kid was now older. He's now probably low 20s. He's cocky, he's immature, he's irresponsible, he's wasteful, ungrateful, very selfish, doesn't care about anybody but himself. And he's been living off his, uh, his grandfather's trust fund and never worked one day in his entire life. He was a spoiled rich brat, is really what he was. And one day after his grandfather died, uh, it was time to read the will, and because he didn't like his grandfather and thought his grandfather didn't like him, he wasn't even going to attend the reading of the will because he just assumed he wasn't going to get anything. But the lawyer called him and said, you need to come because your name is in the will. So he shows up. And the grandfather had made these videos for him to watch. And he made these conditions that I have a gift for you. I want you to have it. But you can't have it unless all these conditions are met. So le- legally, through in the movie, it was a book first and a movie. But legally, through in the, if it's real, they had these conditions. This guy had to do all 12 of these things. And if he didn't do all 12 of them, he wasn't going to receive a dime. wasn't going to receive anything. And at first, is, is the... The cocky young grandson was like, whatever, I don't believe you. What is, what is this for? I have more in my trust fund. I'm okay. I don't need this. He goes, they're like, okay, walk away. You'll never know what, what it is. But your grandfather has this for you, and he wants you to see it. So the first, he called these 12 tests, he called them gifts. And the first gift was called uh, the gift of work. Because this guy had never worked a day in his life. So he sends him to Texas to work on his, his buddy's ranch, putting these tent posts, or not tent posts, but these fence posts in. And you could see that he did it as long as you could see in the ground. He had never hired to use a shovel, had no blisters on his hand, never done any work in his life. And he did that for a month. And then he said, okay, where's the gift? I, I, I finished it. Where's the gift I'm supposed to get? And the, the guy laughed. He goes, you don't get it? He's like, no, he didn't get it. The gift was work, but he didn't get it. So he left still angry. Man, I did this work for nothing. And so he goes back home, and it's time for the second one. His second gift was the gift of money. Everything he had, Jason had, had been given to him by, through his grandfather or father. And he took it for granted, was just not happy with it. And so they took everything from him. They took his apartment. They took all of his clothes. They took everything. His bank account canceled all of his credit cards. He had nothing. And then he had to figure out where he's going to live. He, had, he was sleeping on the sidewalk. He was sleeping on a, a chair in the park. He, he didn't realize how blessed he really was. And they called, him, called that one the gift of money. And the third one, it was a gift of friendship. He said, this, this one, you have to actually come up with a real friend who doesn't love you just because you're rich, just because you can buy them anything that they want. And he couldn't find anybody. Once his money was gone, he had dislike of the prodigal son. He couldn't find anybody. They wouldn't even feed him the, the pig food. They would, no one was helping this guy out. And no one was helping Jason either. Eventually, he does find someone that becomes a real friend. Then there was the gift of problems. He needed to find someone else that had needs bigger than his own and help them. And he paid somebody's back rent in the story. The next one was a gift of family. He had a Thanksgiving meal with his family. The family was, it'd be a Thanksgiving meal that none of you would ever want to go to. They're probably the richest family around. Actually, in the movie, they film it. It's based out of Charlotte, actually, because they show this Charlotte skyline. They mentioned Charlotte a couple times. But anyway, they have this Thanksgiving meal. They're all arguing over who got what, and they're glad he's dead. And they're talking like this, just rich, 
arrogant conversation, and he's just really, he's not enjoying it. So um, then he has the gift of learning, the gift of laughter, the gift of dreaming, the gift of gratitude, the gift of a day, the gift of love, and then the 12th one was the ultimate gift. So he had to go through every one of these things and do them exactly to the satisfaction of his dad's lawyer, or he would not get a dime. But over the process of time, as Jason completed each one of these tests, his heart started to change. He started to not be so self-focused and only focus on himself. He started to change and start looking out for the needs of others. So he thought he was at the ultimate gift when he was given this gift of $100 million. And he thought that was it. But he felt like, it just feels, he goes, is there not more I'm supposed to do? He goes, no, here you go. And in the story, if you haven't seen it yet, maybe I'm ruining it some, but you'll, you'll like it anyway. But he goes and he gives that $100 million away to help build a hospital for this friends that he made that had a daughter who was very sick. And he gave it all away, didn't save a dime back for himself. So when the lawyer heard it, he goes, you really gave all that away? He goes, yeah, I, I need more too. I, I need to be able to hold wing for them. We're trying to help them. He, he goes, that's exactly what your grandfather wanted you to do. He said, now we want to give you the ultimate gift. And the ultimate gift was $2 billion. And so, uh, but the grandfather didn't want to give this young, cocky, arrogant, proud, rebellious kid $2 billion and see him just waste it. He wanted him to come into maturity first. And once he came into maturity first, he then, then he'd know he would do something good with this. And the, in, in the story of the prodigal son, the father wanted the older son and the younger son to receive the ultimate gift. But they weren't ready for it. Neither one of them was ready for it. If you remember, we'll read this again. Galatians 4, 1 through 3. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, in context, those who are under the law are sons and daughters, but they're, but they're immature sons and daughters, and because they calls them children and says they're equal to slaves. So if we're still under the law, we're still immature, we're not mature enough, we're not ready to receive the ultimate gift. And the ultimate gift is Christ, okay? We can't be under the law and under Christ at the same time. So they will not inherit the promises of God if they're under the law, because we inherit the promises of God through faith. So uh, they will, they'll be like the older son that felt like, yeah, I've been here the whole time, I've done everything right, but they can't even receive a goat, because you can't receive the things of God based on your works, based on your merit. We inherit the things of God based on our sonship, based on being a son and daughter of God. We inherit all the blessings we have from God, we inherit them through our birthright, not through our works. That's why Paul said, where's the room for boasting? So being under the law is like the child, uh, is, uh, is like uh, being under the law and outside of Christ, we are young, like a young child, verses 1 and 2 said, without any spiritual rights or privileges. So even though you're really a son, if they're, if they're not mature yet, they don't have those spiritual rights. So Paul stated that they, they were in bondage under the elements of the world in that verse 3. And the Revised Standard Version translates this phrase and says, we were slaves to the elemental spirits of the universe. So if this translation is correct, we don't know different ones translate things differently, but if it is correct, Paul is referring to the demonic spirits that people were under, that were under the law, and they had no power to break these demonic assignments off their life. 
So they were sons, but they were powerless because the power comes through the Spirit of God. The same Spirit raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. That gives us the power. It comes from Him, not from our obedience, not from earning anything, but it's from the, the work of Christ. Amen. So being under law makes us slaves, and the law does not have any power to free us from the flesh or from the demonic realm. And I'm saying this because many people in our, where we live, many people across the country and across the world, they still think that the Ten Commandments and the Law of Moses was put in place to make us righteous, make us right with God, and it wasn't. The purpose of the law I shared a couple weeks ago was to make us aware that we needed a Savior, make us aware that there's no way we can possibly be good enough before God. There's no way we can possibly do enough good things to earn one second in heaven. We can't be good enough. We can't do good enough. We can't do those things. Christ was good enough for us, so now we get to inherit through him. In the same way we inherited evil through what Adam did, now we inherit life through what Jesus did for us. By one life-giving spirit, what Christ came, one life-giving spirit. So um, you can see inheritance comes through faith. Let me show you this in uh, 4 through 7 of Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You inherited God. You inherited our relationship with God. You inherited that through what Christ did for you. Amen? Not through anything we could do. So we do not inherit the promises of God through our obedience to the law. We inherit the promises of God when we come into maturity into sonship. Into sonship. Amen? Uh, you know, I try to be a good son for my mom. She's a widow now. My dad's been passed away since 2015. I can't always go home to Canada, especially during COVID. When I can, I try to go to Florida, and I try to help her mow the lawn, help her, you know, do some things she can't do very well, clean windows. I put up crown molding for her, just different projects and stuff she tries to get me to do. But never do I ever think, I'm going to do this, and after I'm done, I've earned my inheritance. And when she, when she goes to be with Jesus, then I'm going to get everything she gets, or everything she has. I don't think like that. I never thought like that. I, 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 don't, I don't want her to die. I didn't want dad to die either. I mean, I don't care about the inheritance. And, but this, the same thing, reality is true. Even if I live like Jason in the movie or the younger son in the, in the prodigal son story and I waste everything I have and I don't save, I don't have an investing, investments, I, I just squander everything. No matter what, when she passes away and it's time for her to go be with Jesus, everything she has belongs to me and my brother, no matter what. No matter how good I was, how bad I was, or if I was a good son or not, it's going to come to us. Now, what that is, I don't know, and I don't want to know, I don't care. But the point is, we can't earn our stuff with the Lord. When she does pass away and go to be with Jesus, I'm not going to think, man, I got that because I mowed her grass. I got that because I washed her dishes. And we laugh about it, but we think the same way with God, that we earn something with him. And there's no earning. You inherit you, inherit, you inherited the gift of eternal life. 
You inherited the gift of righteousness. You inherited the gift of his son. You inherited all those things. You inherited righteousness. You inherited eternal life. You inherited faith. You inherited love. You inherited sonship. You inherit these things by faith in what Jesus did for us. Amen? And that is the ultimate gift. But you cannot receive the ultimate gift until you come into sonship. And as long as you're trying to earn it and work hard for it, like you've, you've done something, you've been good enough, you've done this faithful enough, you've prayed enough, you've fasted, you've done all these things. No, I could fast the rest of my life until I die. I can't earn anything with God. But I can, can position myself through fasting to hear God's voice better or to receive some things from him that he's already provided. But it's already provided by grace, but I have to step into some things. So we don't earn anything. We inherit. And that, when you really get that in your heart, you come into sonship, it should give us faith. Because my faith is not in what I've ever done. My faith is what Jesus did for me. And I, when I receive things from God, I, think, I can't think, that's because I preached that sermon on Sunday, and it was so good. Everybody was shouting, amen, hallelujah. That'd be the same thing as thinking I got something from my mom because I mowed her lawn. I, I do son-type things because I'm a son. You do son and daughter type things because you're a son or daughter. You do things for God because he's your dad. He's your father. He gave the spirit of Jesus into your heart. You can cry out, Abba, Father. means daddy, daddy, papa, papa. He is your God. You are, you, there was one son of God. Now he said the firstborn of many sons and daughters. Now there's many sons and daughters of God. And we are co-heirs with Christ. It means we, we have an equal share in the inheritance that Jesus has. And it's not fair, but praise God because we're brothers because of our father's wealth. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is God because of his goodness. We get to inherit those things because of him. Amen. Amen. We just get to. But I'm telling you, as long as you're trying to earn it, you'll be like that older son, like, he didn't even give me a goat. He didn't give me anything because you can't get it through works. You get it through inheritance. And guess what? Jesus already died. Jesus already died and was raised from the dead. Let me read this to you in uh, Hebrews 9. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. So since Jesus died and was raised from the dead, you ne- the will has been read to his sons and daughters. And now we've all been invited in. You might have thought, my grandfather hates me, or my father, God hates me. He doesn't want me to inherit anything. I, I wasn't good enough, kid. I'm not going to inherit these things. Well, you need to get in there and read the will. You need to get in there and read what he left you, the ultimate gift. You have the ultimate gift of sonship, the ultimate gift of being a son or daughter of God, the ultimate gift of right standing with God based on nothing you did, based on what Jesus did for you. And I'm telling you, when you get this right, it takes legalism out of the way, the older son out of the way. You can go into the party. You can go into the music and dance, and you can celebrate when another Gentile or someone that lived in the, lived in the pig pen comes in and gives their life to Christ. You know, and then God promotes them, maybe past where you are, because it's a different calling on their life. Think about Robert Morris. You ever heard his testimony? The guy was not living a good life. He was in drugs and addictions and things. And when he got saved, he was preaching in no time. Now he has one of the largest churches in America. He doesn't boast about it. He doesn't brag about it. It was his calling. It was his gifting. It was what he was supposed to do. And so we got to celebrate when sons and daughters come in. Amen? Amen. So once Jesus died on the cross, his will went into effect. But no one can receive it through works. We receive it by faith. So when we approach God, that's why I said you can boldly approach the throne of grace. We boldly approach that throne to receive help and mercy. You think about in your life, who are the most bold people that you know in your life? In your life. If you have kids, it's your kids. 
when you're talking about in your, in your house, okay, in your house, who are the most bold people in your, in your life? I mean, you could have food in the refrigerator and you marked dad on it in great big jumbo letters, meaning don't touch this. I got leftovers from the steakhouse. That's mine after church, Sunday, whatever. And guess what? You come home and it's gone. And guess who ate it? It's one of your kids. It's probably not your spouse. It's one of your kids ate it. They are bold in, the, in, in their father and mother's house. And guess what? We can be bold in the Father's house because you are sons and daughters of God and nothing can take sonship away from you. It's your birthright. It's your inheritance. You have been born children of God. Amen. You're born that way. And that when we're born again, let me show you this in, in John 1, 12 and 13. It says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. It wasn't your choice. It wasn't your will. It, wasn't, it was God's will. And when you received him, you became a son or a daughter of God, and you, he is your father, and you are his child no matter what. It's covenant. It's a covenant. Amen? And God, and if, if there's things the father needs to correct the son for, guess what? He'll do it, just like we do with our natural children. If he needs, but, he, but when my kids mess up and I have to bring correction, it doesn't mean they're not my son anymore or my daughter anymore. It just means they need, they're immature and I need to help bring them into maturity and correct them on some stuff. Amen? And God does that with us too because he loves us. Amen. He says the father who doesn't discipline his son hates his son. Doesn't the Bible say that? Amen. So God loves us. So First um, John 3, 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you feel like you've earned it, or you've done everything right or whatever, God made a way. When you put your faith in Christ, in the covenant that he made for you, you became a son or daughter of God. I'm going to close with this first, then we'll take communion together, but John 8, 35, it says, A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Think about going back to the older son. He said, I've been slaving all these years. I never disobeyed your orders. I'm working in the field. Your brother's wasting. He's doing all this, but I did everything right, and you didn't celebrate me. And guess what? You can never do everything right. You can never do, you can never slave enough or work enough to earn something. That's why he didn't even get a goat. Because you can't get it through your works. You have to get it through inheritance. You have to get it through your birthright. You get it through faith in what Jesus did for you. And so it says there, uh, a slave does not abide in the house forever. You think of slave days or servant days. They had quarters that they lived in. So even though they worked all day long, they'd go out to the servant's quarters. But the son went into the father's house. The son, went into the, the son knew what the father was doing the next day. Hey, Dad, what, what project are we going to do tomorrow? The servants will find out when they get there. Okay. Because you, you are sons of God, you have a place with a father's house forever, and you can get personal information on things going on that, that is to do with the father's business, and he'll share his stories and secrets with you because you are his son or daughter. Amen? Servants don't have that. So sometimes when we're not hearing God the way we should, sometimes it doesn't, doesn't go across the board in every way. But sometimes it's because we're being a slave or a servant and not a son and resting. Dad will tell me when he's ready. Dad wants me to know. He'll tell me. I don't have to go wake him up in the middle of the night. Hey, Dad, what are we doing tomorrow? Come on, kid. What are you doing, son? What's wrong with you? And sometimes we're not hearing God. We Sometimes we get condemned. We get feeling bad, like I'm missing God or I'm missing this and whatever. 
And God knows how to speak to his children, and his sheep recognize his voice. And when he wants to tell you something, I'm not saying you don't position yourself to hear. You do, of course. But if you're not hearing, you, can't, you shouldn't condemn yourself, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And if you're living in self-condemnation, you're not in faith. You're in works. I know it might sound like, is it really that simple? It really is. And I have to practice it myself, because we all battle this feeling sometimes. But when you're living in condemnation, you're not in faith. Because there's no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're not resting in our sonship. We're not resting in our adoption. We're not resting in dad's ability to protect us, to coach us, to teach us, to train us, to show us things. We're resting, I got to do all this stuff or God's going to get mad at me or, or God's going to use this person more than me or they're going to advance. I'm not going to, oh, and we got this jealous thing going on and it's not kingdom. There is no jealousy in the kingdom. There's no jealousy in the kingdom. When someone, the Bible tells us, when one person's uh, promoted, we all celebrate. When one person has a victory, we all celebrate. When one person grieves, we all grieve with them. It's family. It's family, not jealousy. It's not a competition. We're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, amen? And God has enough blessings to go around for the younger son, the older son, and everybody in between. Amen? So I just want to encourage you guys today, it is very easy to fall back into the mindset of slavery. The, the Israelites were in slavery for 430 years. They came out. They came into a land of flowing with milk and honey. They had freedom. No one was telling them what to do anymore until the law came around. But they still had a slave mentality. Even though they were not in slavery, they still thought like slaves. And guys, our mentality has to shift from immaturity to maturity. And immaturity is being under the law and being a slave to the law. And maturity comes into as we develop into sonship and daughtership. We have to get it. We have to believe it. Because I'm telling you, these are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. The sons of God do the works of God. The sons of God enjoy the benefits of God. The slaves don't. The servant, the oldest son, he didn't. He's working. He's doing these things. He didn't enjoy the benefits that he already inherited as its son. And he was of age, but he was under the law, so he didn't get it. So I want to encourage you guys, in this season we're in, this season we're going into, I'm telling you, there's going to be things that I feel like God's going to be handing out new gifts, new weapons, new things, new stuff that we need for today, new graces and that. And guess who's going to inherit them? No one who's earned it. No one who deserves it but sons and daughters, children of God. There'll be people you never expected be doing the things they'll be doing. We'll be doing them. People you never thought would be, oh my gosh, God's using that guy. I can't believe they're using that guy. That guy was a drunk, was a this, was a that, or whatever. And, but guess what? We, we don't, you don't become the older son to get mad when God starts using somebody differently than you. Amen? It's all family. It's for the kingdom. Amen? So I just want to encourage us all to rest in our sonship, but also pursue the heart of God for what he's calling you for your life to do and things he wants you to do because there's new gifts being handed out, new things, amen? All right, speaking of inheritance, um, you look at what's behind me. There is no one in the room that would be worthy in and of yourself to ever touch this table. There's no elder or deacon that would be worthy to take the tablecloth off or to touch the cup or touch the juice or whatever it represents. There's no one worthy. We don't do this based on our worth. The front of the, most of the churches they have on the front says, do this in remembrance of me. And the pastors have perverted the message and made it, do this in remembrance of your sin. When Jesus never said that, never preached that, never taught that, never hinted at that. 
He said, do this in remembrance of me, what I did for you, not what you do for me. We're so self-centered. We just really are. We think the whole gospel revolves around us when it doesn't. It revolves around Jesus and him really being that good. And when we get this, you will sin way less than you ever did when you were the oldest son. You just will, because you're naturally going to flow in the things of God. So behind me, we have a right to partake of this thing if you're a son and daughter of God. If you're a child of God, you have the, the right. He's invited you to the table to feast with him and to feed on the things of God. So I'm going to ask the elders to come and prepare the Lord's table, and then we're going to take this communion meal together as a family. So we're going to invite you to come up and receive from the Lord's table and then just take it back to your seat and uh, hold on to it. We'll take it together as a family. But what these things represent is the forgiveness of your sins, the healing of your body, the, the taking of your shame, the taking of all the punishment we deserve for stuff. And guess what? We now inherit the things that Jesus earned the things that Jesus deserved, the rewards, the inheritance he received from the Father, everything he earned and worked for, and, and we now inherit that through our birthright, through Christ, and we, we declare it in the spirit realm as we partake of the Lord's table. So we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're proclaiming not that he's dead because he only died for a few days. We're proclaiming what he accomplished for his sons and daughters through this death, burial, and resurrection. This is part of your inheritance. So when we take this, don't think about yourself. We think about Jesus and thank God he loves you this much. He would do this for you and wants you to inherit and have the spirit of his son in your heart and to receive these things by faith like I am a child of God. I can do what he says I can do. I can, I can uh, believe what he says I can believe. I am who he says I am because what Jesus did, amen, because he's that good.